Again, I want to welcome the Brentwood campus who are watching this uh, uh, via video. And um, we begin our series called Beyond Mud Puddle Gods. Now, actually, I was sharing this with our men's group that I meet with on Friday morning. And they said, some of you, David, they said, you're going to have to explain that title in order for people to get it. Otherwise, they're just thinking you're starting to lose it just a little bit. And I will in just a moment. It hopefully will make sense. But really, um, this series is about considering the nature of God. We're going to talk about God and discover and really who he is. You know, if I was, um, if I was asked by someone, why is it important to come to church? Like, I see some young people here, like the young Linkletter fellow sitting over there. You know, he's coming to church. Uh, but then I see some uh, um, other young people and middle-aged people, and I won't mention, point out the older people. But, I mean, all age groups, all age groups. Why, why come to a church service? Now, there's a lot of reasons. But I would say one of the key reasons, one of the anchor reasons, is that this is a moment every week to pause and to learn about God. It's, it's a time to um, think about God, to think about God rightly, to, um, to, to experience God, to encounter God. Uh, you know, in fact, I would go on to say that knowing God is serious and important business. It really is. Uh, the Bible tells us knowing God determines our destiny, shapes our decisions, lifts us from despair. In, in, in fact, I, I would go... To this point, and, and, and this is where I would start to get quite um, passionate with all of you, and those of you who are watching uh, this uh, via video, is, um, you know, the most important quest you could ever go on in your life is knowing, desiring, and experiencing God. Uh, one of my professors in seminary by the name of J.I. Packer I wrote a little book called Knowing God. It actually, it's, uh, for those of you who like to read, it's, uh, it's considered a classic now. And here's, here's one of his anchor quotes in, this, in, in the book they wrote. And, and the more you think about this, I'm absolutely convinced, as I deal with people in life, I'm absolutely convinced of the truth of this statement. He wrote, once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. When you realize that the most important thing that you're here for is to know God, everything else in life, every other challenge, every other opportunity, every other experience will take its proper place. But miss this and you miss it all. Well, you can say, well, well this is all a very interesting reflection, but let me actually quote from the Bible itself. In, in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 9, verse 24, it says this. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me and understand that I'm the Lord. You know, I think about, you know, being able to name drop. You know, it's kind of fun to name drop, right? Like I could say, yeah, I got an autograph from Bobby Orr, you know. I know Mike Gartner, Hall of Famer, you know. I mean, it's hockey season. Might as well use those examples, right? And then others will say, yeah, well, I met, I met the Hansons in the Hanson group or something. But, but just ignore Jen about that, okay? That's just, she's just like crazy, okay? You know? And, and others of you say, well, I, I, I met Pierre Trudeau, or I met Stephen Harper, or I met Rob Ford. I mean, I, who knows who you met, okay? I, I don't know who you met, okay? But maybe you met someone important. But here's the thing. 
The Bible says, God is saying, if you're going to boast, if you're going to name drop, here's the thing to name drop. Say that you truly know me and understand me. The greatest quest in your life is to know God. Okay, so you say, all right, you've convinced me. I should be part of my focus in life, my centering focus in life is as much as I deal with every other part of my life, I should take time to know God. So, so Dave, look, you're preaching to the choir. You're here. Uh, you're, I'm listening to you. I've come to church. I'm, I'm not going to the Santa Claus parade or I, I, I didn't sleep in on Sunday morning, so I'm here. Well, this is, this is where it gets a little dangerous, though. Because in the moment that we say, okay, I'll think about God, I'll reflect about on God, I'll try to understand who God is, as the Bible says, I think we can fall into a danger. And you say, well, what danger is that? And it's a phrase I got from C.S. Lewis, an author and theologian of the last century. He says, often when we consider God, we are, and here's his quote, far too easily pleased. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, let me read his whole quote to you. He says this in his book, The Weight of Glory. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too, not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. We are like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Well, that, that, that's a great quote. And, and uh, again, i got to be honest with you, I, I, because I, I, I try to write and think myself, when I read somebody who compresses a whole lot of thinking into about three sentences, you got to kind of chew on, on a quote like that. So let me just chew on that with you for a moment, and hence you're going to find out where I came up with my sermon series title. It's, here's what I think is what he's really writing about. You see, when we come to thinking and believing in God, we are often like children who are content to play in mud puddles. Uh, we come up with our own little definitions of God. We play around with ideas about who we think he is based on our intellect, our experiences, and other sort of folk religion ideas, right? And we can become people who... It's not that we don't have ideas about God. I think everybody here, if I said, what's your idea of God? You go, well, I think God is like, and then you'd give me a sentence or two, or you might even give me a paragraph, you might even give me a page of ideas, and, and you'd give me your ideas, but here's the problem. For many people, they're like children playing in mud puddles because they have ideas about God that are muddy, confused, and downright wrong. Now, now, just pause for a moment, and let's go back to saying, if knowing God is the most important central thing in your life, it's the anchor point, it's the defining point in your life, doesn't it make sense, wouldn't it be wise to make sure that whatever ideas you think about God are, are clear and accurate? Or are you just kind of going to go with your, your own little ideas? And so the challenge is this. We have to be willing to stop being children who are going to play with little mud puddle gods and instead head for the ocean. So do you want to stay in the mud puddle or do you want to head to the ocean? Hence, 
beyond mud puddle gods. And actually, if you look at the, um, the picture we created, you notice the child has his back turned to the ocean because that's where God really lies, right? Now, um, thinking then and contemplating and learning about God really does matter. And um, as we think about this, um, I would just simply say, you know, getting God right is really important. It's important to get God right. And I just want to turn to Exodus 20, uh, verses 1 and 3. And just, and just let's read this. Here's why it's important to get God right. I, he said this to the, to the Hebrews that he had freed from Egypt. He says, I'm the Lord your God. And this is the very beginning of the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, here's, and here comes commandment number one. I'm the Lord your God, so he identifies himself, who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. Now here comes commandment number one. If nobody knows the Ten Commandments here tonight, here's commandment number one. We won't throw all ten at you. We'll give you number one. You must not have any other God but me. You must not have any other God but me. You know what this command reminds me of? This commandment tells me that there is then the possibility that you could worship a false god. God's saying, there are other gods out there, they're false gods, but you could end up worshiping them, and you have to make a decision. You must not have any other god before me, or but me. You know, I've, I've had the opportunity to do a little bit of international travel. I was in Cambodia, and I tell you, it's the first time I ever experienced it. We went up to an ancient temple ground, and the part that blew me away wasn't how old this temple was, but there was a statue of a cow. And there were people burning incense, bowing down, praying to the statue of this cow. I went, wow. And all of a sudden, this commandment came to me. You cannot have any other God but me. You have to understand something. When when Moses went up to the Mount Sinai and received these commandments from God, he was bringing them down to people. Remember, he had, they had just came out of the land of Egypt that had multiple gods to worship. And God is saying, you can't have all these false gods out there. They're not, they're not me. None of them are me. I am the one true God. You can't have anyone else. You know, as, as I think about that, I remember another trip, part of that trip I was on as well, I ended up going to a Hindu temple. And there were uh, 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 statues of all the main Hindu gods. Now, if you study Hindu religion, what the Hindu religion says is that there could be up to 30 million different types of gods. 30 million. Now, again, here's what the Scripture says. You must not have any other God but me. Now, now, what I want you to understand just for a moment is this. We, have, we live in a multi-faith world. We live in a world where there are different religions. And please, please do not do this. And this is mud puddle thinking. It doesn't matter who you worship. It's all the same God. It's not the same God. The gods of the Hindus 
and the God of Islam and the God, or actually the no God of the Buddhists is very different from the Christian understanding of God. We worship, the God that we say we worship is fundamentally different from the other three world major religions. Let's not get into this mamby-pamby, loosey-goosey, mud-puddle, confused, muddled thinking that we're all worshiping the same God. That is just not true. And, and anyone who's worth their salt, if I had clergy from those other three major world religions, they would say, yes, Dave, and I agree with you. They would. So the question then becomes, which one is the true God? Now, um, here's the question, though, you have to ask yourself beyond the world religions. Are you worshiping a false God? What is your understanding of God? Is it based on guesswork and feelings? If that's your foundation, it's like building a house on sand. You know, it's interesting. I, when I deal with people as they journey along and as they tell me what they think about God, some people say, you know, I think God's like, like a good old grandfather. And other people say, I think God is like a policeman in the sky. And other people say, I think God is like, like an ATM machine. You know, you just have to be able to punch in the right codes and you get the, you get the answers from them. Please understand something. That's not the God of the Bible. Once again, I want to say, let's go from the mud puddles and let's get to the ocean. Okay? So, so then the question becomes this. How do we then explore the truth of God? Once you decide to say, okay, I want to leave my mud puddles. I want to head for the ocean. What needs to happen? Well, well here's the first thing that's going to happen. Who has seen the ocean? Who's been to a beach and has seen the Atlantic Ocean or Pacific Ocean or the Indian Ocean? Who has seen? Come on, who's seen the ocean? Have you been to the beach? Okay. All right, thank you. And you've looked down and you've seen the Atlantic Ocean, right? Okay. When you stand there and look at the ocean, what are a few of the things that hit you about this ocean? It is, first of all, what? Big. Thank you. I hope that you said big, Brentwood Campus, the Allison Campus Saturday night. It's really sharp here, okay? So here's the thing, the big. Um, the other words I would use are vast, um, mysterious, uh, powerful, unpredictable, dangerous. But also, please understand something. Let's just pretend we're back 200 years ago. If I want to travel to some other place in the world, the only way I'm going to get there is what? By the ocean. So I better know how to be able to travel this ocean because the ocean is the way to the other shores. Now stay with me in this analogy. So the first thing I do if I leave my mud puddle is I have to say, okay, I'm, here I am. I'm going to, wow, I'm experiencing the ocean. You know, that's the same thing we first of all have to do with God. We have to say, God, I really am just going to open myself up to you. And the moment you start really opening yourself up to God, it's like standing on the beach and looking out at the ocean going, wow, God, you're vast, you're huge, you're powerful, you're unpredictable. But now stay with me. If I'm really going to have to understand the ocean, though, that's in front of me, can, am I going to grasp it based on my little viewpoint here looking at the beach from my point of view? Am I going to be able to grasp the whole ocean from my viewpoint? No. So what do I need? I need a map of the ocean. I need a map that helps me understand the contours of the ocean so that I know how to navigate the ocean so I can make my way to the other shores. 
wait now, where's my map? I'm picking up the map. Here's the map. Here's the map of the ocean. Because this is where God's revealed himself. See? And actually, you could say some secondary maps are, are all the people who over the last 2,000 years plus have reflected on what it means to navigate the ocean. That's called theology. That's called great thinkers and writers who said, let's think about God. But the main map, the most important map, is this one. It's the Word of God. And as God has revealed himself in his Word, here is what we start to discover. So tonight I want to give you sort of the introduction of who God is as, as we read the map. First thing. In Deuteronomy 6.4, we see that God is of one essence. He is one. Um, listen to what it says in Deuteronomy 6.4. The Lord, listen to Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Or another translation is the Lord is one. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. He is one. Now, stop and think about this. He is one. That means that the God that we worship is, again, not multiple gods. Now, the, I remember when I was in elementary school, I was taught the, the Greek mythology and the Roman mythology. You know, there's the god of the Zeus, you know, and Apollos, and, and you know, the god of war and the god of, of rain and the god of corn. I don't, can't remember. I didn't really pay attention to all the gods. But I just knew that there were a lot of gods, right? God, when he reveals himself, he says, I am one. We do not have technical term right now, we do not have what's called a polytheistic religion. We do not believe in a multiple number of gods. God has not, that's not what the map says. The map says God is one. Listen, O Israel. Listen, Journey Church. Listen, everyone. God alone is one. He's one. He's essence. Now, you've got to remember again, in the ancient Near East, during that time, that was news. Because otherwise, for a lot of Countries around there, a lot of other different people groups, they had their own little God for their region. And they said, well, there, there's a God for this region. There's a God for that region. No, no, no. There's one God. And he is true. And all the rest are false. Now, around this unity and oneness, which is pounded out throughout the Old Testament, there are hints of something else that's revealed completely in the New Testament. I want to move quickly into that. But not only is God of one essence, but now he is reveals himself in three persons. Now stop and think about this. God is one essence, but he reveals himself in three persons. And here we go. See, as God continued to progressively reveal himself, we come to this grand reality that God is one, but is we come to know him in three persons. Now where do we see that? Well, let's, let's go really quickly. I'm going to do a little, what's called a little Bible overview. What's coming up right now? We're celebrating Christmas. We all know that Christmas sort of started with, well, you can all argue when Christmas really started, but let's say Christmas starts with the angel telling Mary that she's going to have a child and it's the Messiah. I want to read this verse to you and tell me if you can see, and people of Brentwood, tell me if you can see the Trinity or the three, Nate, the three persons of God involved in this announcement to Mary. Look, let's, let's, let's read it. And the angel replied... The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will, be, will overshadow you. So the baby to be born 
will be holy and he'll be called the Son of God. If you're following and making notes, just underline this. The Holy Spirit, the Most High, that's a reference to God the Father, and of course Jesus, the Son of God. Right there is the triune nature of God being announced to Mary. Wow. Okay, let's move on. Here's another announcement as God reveals himself in the map. The baptism of Jesus. Here again, we see the three persons of Jesus. I mean, the three persons of God. Here we go. Let's, let's see the next verse. And after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God, there's the Holy Spirit, descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven says, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. So there's Jesus, son of God. There's the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove. And the voice from heaven is God the Father. Now, there are some people who do not want us to believe in the Trinity. Please understand that the Muslim faith looks at Christianity and thinks we're nuts for believing in the three-person nature of God, even though this is how God has revealed himself. They say there's no way. God is one. Some people come up with this solution. I know what God does. God is not three persons. He three, he's three disguises. God says, time for me to be father. Time for me to be the son. Time for me to be the Holy Spirit. So in this one, in this story, if that's true, this is what's going on. Hi there, hi there, hi there, hi there. It's, it's, at that point, it's nonsensical. It really is nonsensical. God is revealing himself as three persons, though he's one. Essence. Let's move on. Here's another Bible example. God's revealed in the Great Commission as three persons. Here we go. Let's read this. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. That's a claim of divinity, by the way. <laughs> Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the what? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One essence, three persons. God is one, three persons. Okay? Here we go. Last one. In the New Testament church, now remember, most of the people who were becoming Christians in the New Testament church were Jews who were monotheistic, which is what we believe in. We believe in one God. And yet, as the Jewish people became Christians, they were willing to say, but this is how God's revealing himself. He's revealing himself in three persons. So here's Paul's benediction to one of the churches in, in the early church time. And now, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And basically, that's him saying, there's the peace, the, the, may you know the peace of God. But here is how God's revealing himself. May the, the Lord Jesus Christ, may the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Okay, please understand, I'm just trying to say, here is a core understanding of God expressed in the Bible. God is one essence, and yet he's three. Now, now, I know some of you may say, you may have friends say, well, Trinity, the word Trinity or triunity is never found in the Bible. I remember growing up in church. I was a church guy. And I always remember we'd stand up and sing, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. I remember singing that. 
and thinking, what the heck does that mean? You know, I, had, I asked questions like that. And it's okay to say, what the heck does that mean? Don't, don't say the other word. Um, <laughs> but, but the thing is, the word Trinity was embraced by the early church to express this revelation that God was showing himself in the New Testament. So the word Trinity became a word that sort of let who, who was a believer in understanding who God was versus those who really didn't buy into this. So Trinity is never found in the Bible. You'll never find it anywhere. But it's a word that expresses what we see revealed as we just took a little jaunt through the scriptures. And there's a whole lot more, by the way. And oh, just as a little aside, really quick. <laughs> um, actually, you can see the Trinity actually being expressed in the Old Testament as well, even though the focus there is on the one God. You can actually go back to Genesis where it says, let us make man in his image. Who's the us? Just, you can go right back to Genesis and see that there's a, there, is a, there is the three-nature person of God going on right there. But, but again, that's, that's just this, for those of you who say, well, I don't see where the word Trinity is. And, um, and so here, what it comes down to, when we say, who is the God that you're worshiping? This is the God that we're worshiping. One in essence, but in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, now, let me just end by talking about this. You may say, Dave, this is all kind of getting kind of complicated. I just want to think about God like the big man upstairs. And I'm just saying, you know what? That's not the God of the Bible. Please don't talk about God that way. That's, all, that's blasphemous, I would actually say. Or that's certainly mud puddle thinking. And we're all heading to the ocean now, right? We want to, we want to do the ocean, right? And, um, and, and, and here, let me just read this scripture. Here's why it's not simple and requires some hard thinking. Let's read this passage in Isaiah 55. God says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Why would we expect understanding God to be simple? Why? This takes, there's, there's mystery here. C.S. Lewis, which I re referenced earlier, said this too. Listen to this. If Christianity was something that we were making up, of course we can make it easier for people to understand, but it is not. We cannot compete in simplicity with people who are inventing religions. How could we? We are dealing with fact. Of course, anyone can be simple if he doesn't have to worry about facts. You see, let's even just go back to as we are starting to celebrate Christmas. Mary shared with Luke who was writing the story about Jesus' birth, he says, what happened, what happened? Well, I had this angel tell me that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon me and the power of the Most High is going to come and I'm going to give birth to the Son of God. Well, that's a weird way to talk about God. I know, but that's what happened. Those are the facts. So now as the church, we say, well, that's how God's revealed himself. So let's now encounter God in this way. Let me end by just highlighting this. Um, two critical statements as we wrestle with understanding God. First statement, 
strange does not equal untrue. Just because something sounds strange does not mean it's untrue. I mean, we have that, that family that we're supporting, right? The Kabangus. They lived in Africa their whole life. They came here in November. They saw something strange today. What did they see? Snow. And maybe when they were living in Africa, they'd say, wow, that sounds so strange, snow in November, because it's usually hot here in November, warm. I mean, what's this stuff called snow? Water turning into white stuff. That sounds so strange. But it's not untrue, is it? And, and what we have to understand is that when we come to worship God, God is saying, this is who I am. And God in and of himself says, before all time began, there was the Father, there was the Son, there was the Holy Spirit, and they were in perfect unity. They were in perfect harmony. They were interplaying among each other, and yet they were all one in essence. I don't understand it. It's strange, but it doesn't make it untrue. Now, that brings us to the second statement. Encountering God by embracing the mystery. At the end of the day, what does it mean to encounter God as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? This is, this is the God. This is the vast ocean that we are now starting to put our little boat of faith out onto. And as I read the map, I say, okay, God, you, Father, designed it in your will to send your Son to work out my salvation, and it's the Holy Spirit who convicts me of my need for you. And wow, and as I worship you, I'm going to worship you as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we're going to sing songs just like we sung here earlier. And yet I still know that you're one, and yet there's this three-personness of God. You know, think about this. There are many things in life that are mysteries to us that we still enjoy. Look, I don't have a clue how my smartphone works, but I enjoy it. It's a mystery to me. You know what? It's a mystery to me about, about my, my car. I really don't know. I turn it on and combustion. I don't understand it all, but it works. But I want to go even deeper because some of you may say, well, I do understand the, how the car works and I do understand how a smartphone works. And you may say, so someday I can, we'll understand who God is. I don't think we will. Even when we go to heaven, we will not really comprehend all of the mystery of God. We will not. But you know what? Even in life, there are physicists who will argue about what gravity really is still in our thing called this universe and reality. They really still don't know what gravity is. They write equations and formulas, but they really can't finally say this is what it is. But does that mean I don't enjoy gravity? That I don't order my life around the fact that there is gravity? You see, as we worship God, I'm not saying that we have to be able to comprehend and have big grand arguments or discussions, but we do have to begin to move from our mud puddles and now move towards the ocean and say, we're going to get into our boats and we're going to say, we are going to get to cross this ocean so that we can someday land on the very shores of God. I want to finish in a prayer. And this prayer is simply this. And it says this. 
Father Almighty, make your heaven and earth, set up your kingdom in our midst. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Holy Spirit, breath of the living God, renew me and all the world. Amen.